it was 2004. We're at a youth camp. The pastor's preaching, and he talks about how much he loved cheese as a kid. And then he tells a story of his mom buying, I think, a 16-ounce block of cheese slices. He, Without knowing it, he was in the middle of a Saved by the Bell marathon. He ate it all as a kid. He didn't go to the bathroom for a week. Went to the doctor. Nothing happened. Finally, one day he went, and as he put it, it just all came out. And then he immediately pivoted and to try to say, it's just like casting your burdens on the Lord. And 300 high school kids giggled because he tried to make a bathroom joke about casting your burdens on the Lord. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school Cause my best days will be in the past I know, I know, I know, I know Looking back, it ain't all bad But damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school Hey everyone, welcome to Unlearning Youth Group We're the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group Find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. We have a Matt. My name is Jonathan Carone, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Uh, hey, people. I am really excited about this week because this is one of those topics that I've been waiting to talk about for a while. And I think, I think other than the topic, Jonathan, I don't know about you, but we're probably going to go on a couple of tangents semi-related to the topic that are going to be quite fun. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the ones that we're going to, we have a general premise, but then we're probably going to go off on some stuff. And so just so you know what the idea for today is, it actually came to us from a listener. A couple months ago, I got a message on Instagram that said the recent release of the Hillsong documentary had me thinking it would be a neat idea to talk about some of those songs that were popular in youth group from them or other mega churches like them. And so then we th- I thought that was a cool idea. Uh, yep. We hadn't talked about anything like that before. And then the documentary started gaining popularity. And so I saw a similar question start popping up on different platforms. Should we sing song- good songs? Like we're assuming that these songs are theologically correct. Should yep. we sing good songs from bad churches or from writers who either left the faith, like Come Thou Fount, or just made like, do you remember the song Healer by Hillsong? where the guy made up the story. So it's like, should we sing that? That was, that was a, this debate, this conversation comes up every few years. So we might not follow our typical format today, but I thought it was a good idea to spend some time talking through this topic. And here's the catch. Here's what you all may not know. We're going to give you a peek behind the curtain. Usually Eric and I are operating off of show notes where we put ideas and thoughts we want to get into an episode. So sometimes we may, the conversation may be going and I piggyback on one of Eric's thoughts on the paper just so we can make sure we hit it. But today we purposefully have not shared our notes. Right. Uh, I want this to be a little less polished, a little more on the fly. And so we both have our individual talking points we want to get to, but Eric doesn't know what I'm going to ask. I don't know what he's going to say. Yep. And so who knows where we're going to go. It could be good. It could be awkwardly terrible. So first question. It's like we wrote our own wedding vows. There's just that anticipation. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. All right. So before before we dive into the fun stuff, can you go ahead and give an overview of kind of the background of the Hillsong documentary? What was the catalyst for this conversation? 
Yeah. So the basis of Hillsong, I mean, there are a ton of things that are, that are being exposed and this goes beyond the documentary. So a couple of years ago, you've got Carl Lentz, which is Hillsong, New York. And he um, underwent, uh, you know, it, it basically came out that he was having an affair, extramarital affair, and there was a cover up. And that uh, is also indicative of what's been happening all across Hillsong is that there are abuses. And megachurches in general. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, basically, but there are abuses and not to downplay the abuse, but the big deal after that is the cover up by the church. And so there are documented cases of Hillsong College students, of Hillsong members, of other staff members, of even like a nanny for one of the uh for one of the pastors, bringing up these allegations of abuse, whether they're sexual abuse or other sorts of, you know, uh, abusing power situations. And the bottom line is that there was no accountability from Hillsong at the least. And they've even covered up some things. Um, and in other cases where abusers were uh, like, like one in particular, there was an abuser in Australia that admitted to guilt. So, you know, he pled guilty. And even after pleading guilty, thinking, well, now, of course, he's going to lose his job. He's not going to keep working for Hillsong. He was actually given a different position that was a higher position in the church because his father was the head of HR. So we've got nepotism, we've got abuse, we've got scandal, we've got cover up, we've got sin, all of this thing. And I think, um, the other piece of it is Brian Houston is coming under under fire because uh, he is not doing himself any favors in the way that he's actually talking about it. Uh, well, he's he's that, been in, discovered to have a couple inappropriate relationships with women. Yeah, um, I don't know that it went it went all the way to like actual physical affairs, but there have been text yeah. messages and conversations that he should not have been having with and women then who the blame, were not his wife. And then the blame was the, uh, I don't know, it was like Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell and a couple other celebrities who have been quote unquote canceled for this type of stuff. And then they blame, oh, you know, it was sleeping pills or I wasn't, I was under medication. You know, it was kind of like as if that makes it okay. So we have in the documentary, to sum it up, abuse and cover up of abuse and like a general shadiness. Yeah, general shadiness and a systemic issue here, along with just a plain inability to read the room and understand how to communicate once abuse happens. So given all that, given the questionable business practices, like Hillsong was known to give their pastors gift cards so that they would have tax-free income and that they could go buy their fancy designer clothes. Yep. And so with these type of things getting exposed, the question is, is it right to sing the music that comes out of these churches? We're assuming it's theologically correct. There's plenty that's not. But for this conversation, we're going to assume the song is theologically correct. So Hillsong is the impetus of today's conversation. But you could add in Bethel. You could yep. add in probably Elevation to some extent. You can add in a mm-hmm. bunch of these Churches turn corporations that churn out all sorts of things. So, Eric, first question for you. Should we care about who writes and publishes worship songs? Uh, No, with an asterisk. I would say, no, I don't care who writes and publishes the worship song, depending on what the use is for the worship song. 
So for the 90, I don't know, I don't I can't put a percentage, but for the whatever percentage of our listeners who are not in a position to make decisions on supporting and, you know, um, um, programming on a weekend for a youth group or for a church or anything else like that. I'm not talking about them for an average Christian. Uh, I would say, no, this to me boils down to the same thing that we've talked about with, um, alcoholism or other things like that, where these are issues to me where it's like, is it sin to listen to a song by, uh, this will be a throwback by a guy like Steve fee, right? Like he was also one that had an extramarital affair and, you know, was, went through a process here to me. No, that's not a problem for me, but I understand that because the purpose of listening to worship songs and singing worship songs is to connect you with God. If there is something in the background of that author that gets in your way, you individually, not corporately gets in your way of your worship with God, and you just can't stop thinking about the author separated from the music, then by all means, do not listen to it. That's fine. But we've talked about some of these other topics in the same way. And that I put it in the same light, you know, just like you and I, we've had the conversations over what sort of shows you can watch versus what Mm -hmm. sort of shows I can watch without um, going down a dark rabbit hole place. And for me, I have no problem listening to Steve, Steve Fee songs. I have no problem listening to Good Hill Song songs. I don't like most Bethel songs, so that doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> you don't like singing the same thing 37 times? No, I don't. But like, if you're going to tell me that I can't listen to We Shine, like, because because the author uh, had a sin Tell issue. me you grew up in the 2000s church if you're yeah. referencing Steve Yeah, yeah, we shine, we shine with the light of God. I mean, the emo swoop, bro, I Dude. wanted Steve Fee's emo swoop. When I saw him at Catalyst, I was like, this is the future of Christian music. Because like before that, we were listening to like Breathe and like, you know, and like Shine Jesus Shine. Like, get out of here. The church that got me back into church in college after not going to church for over a decade, probably, well, not a decade, probably five or six years, they, I mean, it was, it was a fee church. Like we played yeah. almost every song was like every week there was a song by Steve Fee. And that's yep. what got me back in the church. So when he, when it came out that he had his affairs, I was, or affair, I like that one hit me. Like mm-hmm. that was one of the first times that I was really disappointed by a church leader. Yep. But it gets back to the idea of separating the art from the artist. Right. And I asked this question on TikTok, and somebody came in with the phrase death of an artist. Have you ever heard that? Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. I never heard of the concept of death of an artist. And she explained to me, she said that once an artist writes or releases something, whether it's a book and a TV show, a movie, a song, the artist dies what their intentions were no longer matters. It's up to the listener, the watcher, the consumer to determine how they ingest and respond to whatever the art is. And so, so you've got a guy like John green who is, you know, he's a, he's a modern novelist and he's big on this too. And what that looks like too, is he says, once I've written the book, I don't want anybody asking me what my intent was for these characters in the book, because now that the book has been written and delivered, 
this is your book. It's for the reader to interpret. It's for the reader to, you know, to wrestle with. And it has nothing to do with me, John Green, the author. And so for any creative work, that's the big, you know, that's the dialogue when you're consuming creative content. Some people believe death of the author, other people don't. So like Harry Potter, a lot of people can't separate JK Rowling and the things that she said from Harry Potter in the series. And so they want to, you know, burn that up. So that's the, I mean, I think that's what you're trying to say too, is that's at the heart of where we're going to disagree with people is whether or not you believe death of the author or not. And I mean, I'm going to go there. R. Kelly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Michael Jackson. Listen, dude, Michael Jackson was my favorite singer. I, I will say that. And he's been my favorite singer forever. And so like, of course, when all those scandals and allegations came out, it was like, what do I do? Because I mean, Billy Jean slaps, bro. Like I'm not going <laughs> to stop listening to Billy Jean, but like, it is difficult because then you think about, okay, what are these allegations? What are the things that have come out? He is, whether the allegations are true or not, he grew into being kind of a weirdo either way. Oh, totally. Totally. And I think that leads me to my next piece. And that's, I hate the term slippery slope because it's taken on a new meaning in recent years. But I asked this question, I was on a retreat recently with some leaders of my church and some, uh, a ministry consulting group that I work with. That are, they're all pastors, have been or currently are pastors. No big deal. And Just I, flex a little I, bit. That's cool. <laughs> I asked this question to them because I'm always wanting different opinions. And one of the guys is like, well, where are you going to stop? Like, are you going to throw out half the Bible? Are you going to throw out like Paul's writings because he was a murderer? Oh, slippery slope. I didn't think you were going that way. I thought you were going to go the other way. Slippery slope into sin. This is good. Keep going. I'm ready. Are you going to throw out half the Psalms because David was a rapist? Yeah. Like what are, like, where does this line stop? Mm-hmm. And for me, have you have you heard or read much recently about the idea of moral fatigue? That mm-hmm. it, it's an idea that more and more people are writing about, and it's the idea of like, yes, we want to make these moral stands. We want to stand up for victims, for people who have been taken advantage of or have been harmed. But where do you start and where do you stop? And I'll give you an example. Like a few months ago, the Panthers, Carolina Panthers were in the market to trade Deshaun Watson. And he's got 20 something lawsuits against him for sexual assault or sexual inappropriateness. And I had said, if they did that, I was going to be done being a Panthers fan. Mm -hmm. But I'm wearing an Adidas shirt right now. Yep. And while Adidas isn't as immoral as Nike, they have some major ethical issues and supply chain and labor force. So am I hypocritical for supporting one, but not supporting the other? Or uh, we're on I, an Apple device right now. Think about all the yeah, stuff that happens yeah. in China. You know, I, I don't support or consume anything Barstool does because mm-hmm. I don't like how the, how they objectify women. I don't like, and they promote a lot of stuff that I don't agree with, but I stream shows on Hulu, which is owned by Disney, which right. has all sorts of issues of objectifying young girls. So slippery slope, moral fatigue, where do we draw the line? Can, is it even possible to keep that up long term and be consistent? I think that's a great question. And that's why that's why this is a personal issue. Now, 
corporately, again, we can separate. And if we want to talk about programming, because I mean, I've been part of church programming teams. I'm sure you've been in and around that conversation as well. We could go there, but I think for most of our people, they're not programming worship services on a, on a Sunday or, or for, for their youth group. So let's, let's put that aside for now. Personally, this has to do with you. Um, cause I think when you talk about worship songs, it's like, uh, there are times where I'm just listening to Christian music. albeit not often because I, I don't know, a lot of it's not really good, but there Kayla are times sucks. where I'm like, what? Yeah, right. Like I'm not listening to Caleb, but there'll be times where I have the playlist going. Is that a time where I am getting my heart ready for worship and connecting with God? Not always. Sometimes it's literally just consuming, you know, earworm content. Do I care about who wrote the song? No, I don't. Now, if it's a time where I'm going, hey, I need something here to help me emotionally connect with God, because it's just like, so you've heard of Death of the Author. Here's another conversation about about why musicals are the way they are. It's when emotions are too strong for speaking, you sing them. When they're too strong for singing, you dance. So if you think about any musical, that's what happens. You start to build up emotion and the emotion becomes too strong to communicate just with words. So now the characters start to sing it and then the characters sing and dance because that's just the manifestation of your emotions. And so like if you take that concept and think about worship, it's like if I'm in a situation where I'm like, man, I'm looking and I mean, right out my window right here are some beautiful mountains in the Southwest. It's like, oh, God, this creation is amazing. And it's like, I need something more to express this emotion. So I'm going to put on some music to connect with God and, and get, you know, get my body connected with him in worship. Maybe that needs to, you know, cause like that's where for me personally, I would start to consider a little bit more about what that choice is for that song. Um, from not only the subject matter of the song, but the style of the song, uh, to even the words of the song. And so, I think that that's, that's for me where it's very contextual to be able to draw a, a broad brush and say Bethel or Elevation or Hillsong or anything else like that is tough. The other piece you don't realize is Hillsong the church isn't necessarily the same group as Hillsong the okay, writers that's where I was of gonna the go songs. Next. Yeah, go for it. So I happen to know someone who has played with – Hillsong United and has, he, he knows the ins and outs of that whole situation. And you guys don't see, but Eric, Eric just flexed. It. Like, I, I'm trying not to name drop, but the context no, just, is important. No, this is good. This is good. I'm just feeling it. Go ahead, Jonathan. It's all right. No big deal. Just reach your hand up, turn it over, pat yourself on the back. We got this. We're doing it, man. But the context is important because I talked to him about this in the lead up to this because I wanted his perspective because I knew he would know things that I wouldn't. And the artists are all pissed. Yeah. They are so mad. They are all ready to walk because all the, all of these things. So the people who wrote the songs, they were a part of, and technically Hillsong music is a separate entity than Hillsong church. Like it's a, it's its own business, but I don't know where Brian Houston played in that. Did he have ownership stake? I don't know all the business sides of that, but I know that, the church gets very little money from the music that's played. So if you're streaming something on a, on Spotify or Apple, or you buy an album or you go to a concert, you're, you're getting, the church is getting very little money from that. And so the artists are not part of these systems, but they represent the church. 
So for me, I'm able to separate the two. Mm -hmm. I'm able to say that like Brooke or Joel or Taya or JD or whoever these people are that I've been listening to most of my adult Christian life, they are separate from the entities that put these systems in place that, that did these cover-ups. I'm able to Mm -hmm. make that separation. I get it if you're not, but I think it goes back to that Christian Liberty idea of where like, I can't tell you, you have to listen to those songs, but I don't think you could tell me that I shouldn't listen to them either. I agree. That's where I, I'm a hundred percent with you on that one. And so these are those areas where, we're, we're not looking at each other's notes, but I'm with you because that's the thing is like, I, if you said, Hey man, I just can't listen to Hill song. Um, I can't listen to a song that Joel Houston wrote uh, because Brian Houston leads the church and all this kind of stuff. I would be like, cool. I fine. I'm not going to tell you otherwise. I, I personally don't think that's a big deal. If you wanted to engage in a conversation like this, then I would share, I would talk about it. I would even go as far as to say, hey, if you are one of those listeners that you have no idea how music gets made, um, let's think about the logic that you would have to cover up to really separate out this, mor- what do you call it? moral fatigue, right? Um, okay, so you have a writer who may not actually be the person who's singing and performing on the song. So there may be one to five different writers on the song, and that's just writing the song. Then all of the people who have performed it or recorded it, there might be recording artists on that song that are not actually touring with the band. So add another, I don't know, five to 10 people there. Then you have the artists that are touring in the band. You have the producer that is mixing the sound. If that guy or girl has had affairs in his background, now all of a sudden, are you not allowed to listen to Seasons by Hillsong, which is one of their best songs? I will die on that hill. Uh, <laughs> are you not allowed to do that? I mean, think about it. The, the, the lighting rigor for their tour, if, if that guy has sin issues, are you not allowed to buy a ticket or listen to it? You know what I mean? There are so many pieces that go into this that I love that slippery slope conversation is where does it stop? And so, so that's I, why I'll give you an example. Yeah, go for it. Oceans written by Matt Crocker, Joel Houston and Solomon. I don't know how to say his last name, Okay, but Taya is who performed it. Right. And then you had the entire band and all the other things. And it was produced by, um, produced by Michael Guy Chislett. And yeah, let's so, look into him. Let's figure out him. Let's see what sort of skeletons Michael's got in his closet. So he, he, here's here's another example, though. Going back to the Steve Fee example. Mm-hmm. So oh, I love it. I'm ready. I'm ready. I feel you know, it. I you feel do, it. I feel it. Do you know let's where go. I'm going, or are you just let's, excited because it's Steve well, Fee? Well, I was going to bring up something like this too. So I, let's see if let's see if we're on the same page. This is so exciting. So after Steve Fee had his affairs, mm-hmm. he was pulled from leading worship. His band dissolved and all of that. However, his church did not turn their back on him. Mm-hmm. North Point put him through a series of things he had to do to be restored. Mm-hmm. And during that process. time, he was not allowed to lead worship. However, if you go back and listen to any music that North Point or Inside Out put out during the time of Steve Fee's restoration process, it sounds a lot like Fee, the, his mm. band. Mm. And I, I, I didn't know the connection for the longest time. I'm like, man, this sounds so much like Steve Fee. Was he involved? 
he was the producer. Right. So while he was going through his restoration process and wasn't allowed to publicly lead, he was still working behind the scenes to point people to Jesus in a way that Mm -hmm. he morally could not do from stage until a certain point that his leadership that he had submitted to deemed acceptable. So those songs that were not sung by Steve that were not, I think he was the producer on death was arrested. Mm -hmm. If I'm not mistaken, he didn't sing on it, but he was the producer. And that song was huge. If you look at CCLI or song select or anything else like that, like he, he's got 200 credits to his name in writing, producing other things like that. Like he and Matt Hammett, because I don't, you know, being from Northwest Ohio area, Matt Hammett, Sanctus Reels, uh, original lead singer, like they connected on some things, you know, so he's, he's been a part of the writing process, which I think is a really good uh, conversation. He's written with Louis Giglio, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he, this is a really good part of the conversation because I think there's a, there's a difference that we're to bring it all the way back to Hillsong. What, what I think that we need to do as the church is still admit that, yes, we cannot turn our backs on people, which is the – that's the boilerplate response for most of these abusive churches is to go like everyone deserves a restoration process and grace. And so, you know, abuser A, we want to make sure they have that too. Well, guess what? You could still have grace and restoration, but they still they don't need to have a platform or access in the same way as they had before. So I think Steve Fee, and again, you and I, we both admit, we don't know the full situation with Steve Fee and what they've gone through, but conceptually the idea of if you are in a public platform, something happens, you get to be removed from that platform and put into a restoration process somewhere else. And then it, then depending on how that restoration process goes, are you allowed to still, like, where can you still um, use your gifts and talents for the kingdom. So Steve Fee, the worship leader, uh, probably a long period of time where he shouldn't be in front of people leading worship. Steve Fee, the Christian songwriter, um, if David can write Psalms through his situation, I think Steve Fee can do that on some level as well. As a producer, as a guy who's mixing sound, like those are different situations than uh, just saying, oh, we're going to forgive so-and-so and keep them in a platform or like Hillsong did, give this guy an even you know bigger platform to be able to continue in the way that he was all under the auspices of grace. I think that's, that's the crappy situation that we get into with churches and ministries. All right. So we have a few minutes left. Let's switch gears a little bit because you, you did tackle it. As we're sitting in our churches, should our churches be playing music from Hillsong? Uh, I think that's, that's gotta be up to your individual church. So the, there's a, there was a filter that I really respected out of a church I used to work for where they, you know, we would go through the process and the first filter is, are the words theologically sound? Like that was it. You didn't even get in the door with the song unless the words were theologically sound. That sounds like it should be a given, but. But it's not. Pull the curtain back. It's not a given. Absolutely not. So, so many worship songs get pushed out because they sound good and make us feel nice. Mm-hmm. But so that first question that this whole conversation is centered around the answer to that first question is yes. If yeah. it's not yes to that question, then throw out everything we just said. You shouldn't be listening to it. And you have to, but that's also denominationally based because like in doing research for this too, I don't know if you know this, but in Christ alone, you know, in Christ alone, like one of the most old school new songs ever uh, that was actually kicked out of the, um, song list by the Presbyterian church because of the lyric, 
till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And then the other piece was the father turns his face away. And so the Presbyterian church, they don't believe, and other churches like them, they don't believe in the theology of penal substitution, right? So that song was not theologically sound for them because of that one line. I mean, one line in a song that otherwise, when you're sitting there going like, in Christ alone, this is just the best, you know what I mean? They kick that one out. And so that's the first thing is theologically, does it line up with not only you know, your, per, you know, the Bible, but your, what, what your church believes and values. Cause you also, there's plenty of churches that don't want to sing the, uh, what I like to call like the, uh, Jesus is my boyfriend music. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, uh-huh. it just sounds like you're singing this love song. I think South Park did a, Do you remember a, your beautiful a Phil Wickham? Yes. Oh God. Uh, let my words be few. Song, young and free song. So there's let my Hill words song, be few by Matt Redman. Uh, let my words be few by Matt Redman. The, when I first listened to it, I was like, "This sounds like he wants to make out with Jesus." This is gross. I used to play a game called Young and Free or Taylor Swift, and well, it's you can't tell the difference sometimes. Was, yeah, and South Park parodied it, parodied it because they talked about the best way to make a Christian a number one Christian selling album is take a love song. And remove baby and insert Jesus. Uh-huh. So like, you know, I need you in my life, baby. I need you in my life. Jesus, I can't live without you. Jesus. If you just take Jesus out of the songs and you can put, you know, baby, honey, darling, boo, boo thing, whatever in the song, then it becomes a Jesus is my boyfriend song. But anyway, so some churches are like, we want to get that out. So think about that. That That's the first framework. I don't know how we got on this topic. But anyway, then after that. I think you have to go through and figure out from there, you know, what are all the pieces on whether it fits with your church and fits with your vibe and your style. And then I think the thought that that we had was if it's going to cause any sort of interruption for people that was not worth the song, if you could substitute it with a song that was just as good, then we'd make that substitution. But the church that I work for, we played Bethel songs and we acknowledged that we did not agree with the theology of Bethel, but we agreed with the theology of the particular song. So we took the songs in isolation. If the particular song was theologically sound, then that was what mattered. But I bet right now we wouldn't be singing a ton of Hillsong songs that are well known as Hillsong songs because you're going to interrupt in that spirit of worship somebody might be interrupted unnecessarily with the thoughts of uh, what, what that Hillsong piece brings up. And here's an interesting example that I thought of on that front. We currently, we have a little bit of the curse of knowledge in this because we're currently living through their catalog. So we know exactly what they believe on all topics, whether it's Hillsong or Bethel or something like that. But Fast forward 50 years from now, or let's look back 50 years. C.S. Lewis had some things that were super questionable. Luther had some things that were super questionable. All these guys that we hold up as pillars of theological faith, they had issues that were red flags that were very problematic. And we don't necessarily look at them. We pull the good things and we don't throw away all the things just because of the bad things. Mm-hmm. So we're living through the fact that we we have examples of the bad things right now, but I don't think we give away the good things just because there are bad things as well. Right. And that's and honestly, I think that's where part of it is 
your particular context, if we're still talking to church leaders, your context matters. So should you be playing a Steve Fee song um, within that one to two to three years after the allegations came out? Probably not. Would you be able to play a Steve Fee song right now? Personally, I would not have a problem with with uh, programming a Steve Fee song. I don't even know what ten years, seven years after uh, after the allegations, because I think you've given time um, for those other triggering thoughts, feelings, and events to kind of die down, and you're even speaking to a different a different audience than the one that would have been around right when those allegations breaks. So in in 20 years, are we going to have a big deal with a lot of Hillsong or Bethel songs? Probably not. In the same way as like... You're not taking Shout to the Lord away from me. I'm sorry. I know. Like, that's what I I'm have telling so you. Many, I have so many bad church memories from growing up, but one of the good things that is a formed memory in my head from the 90s is Shout to the Lord. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first times I ever connected to God through music. And that's why I'm telling you, like for me going through um, uh, the song Seasons by Hillsong Worship was, you know, 2017 song. So it's not even that old, but uh, that I have specific memories on how that song helped me get through some very dark times. And it's like, I, I don't care what you want to say about that song, who wrote it, who mixed it, who the gaffer was for the, you know, one piece of electric equipment that was plugged in for their set. I don't care. That is going to be a song that that means something to me. And you cannot deny, like there's nothing you could say that could deny that God has used that song to draw me closer to him. Well, and Empires, the entire album by United that came out in 2015, mm-hmm. it came out a week or two before our oldest daughter was born. And so yeah. three days after she was born, we had to take her to the NICU because her bilirubin was low. And as yeah. a new dad, all I heard was a doctor said something about bilirubin too low or too high. Whatever. I think it was too high and brain damage. Yeah. And I don't know anything different. And we're sitting there in the NICU and Nicole got the stomach flu three days after giving birth. So she actually had to be taken from the children's hospital over to the, the adult hospital the next door in the middle of the night for fluids. So I'm there with a three day old having no clue what to do, like how to feed this baby, how to do, is she screaming because all these things, but all I had was empires that album on repeat the entire time. And so that's what kept me grounded. And there were a couple of lyrics from that album that kept me grounded and reminded me that God's in control and that Jesus is with me. And all of these facts that are theologically true. And so personally, I'm not giving that up. Right. Like you can't take that connection between me and Jesus by way of Hillsong United. Oh, I can't take it away. I know the church did bad things. Mm -hmm. I know the leadership did bad things. I know Joel Houston's dad and his grandfather did terrible things. But the music, the art that came from the broken and sinful artists, mm-hmm. it connects me with God. And at the end of the day, I don't know their intentions. I don't know what the money went to support. But I do know that what man intended for bad, mm-hmm. God can use for good for the healing and the salvation of his people. 
And I'm going to cling to that ultimately through all of this. And what makes you a reasonable and logical and rational human being is you can look at someone else who says, I cannot listen to Hillsong because I... That's yeah, your choice. Was, I'm all for it. Yeah. Because, well, because they say it, it relates to a traumatic experience I had. Or this, the church that sang this song was something that I heard when something bad was happening to me, right? Like, and you can look at them and you can go, I'm sorry, my heart breaks for you. And I respect your choice. I respect your opinion. And in fact, I won't play the song in your presence. And we can both be okay with that. Correct. That's what I was about to say. I, 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 I'm not, if it offends you to eat meat, I'm not going to eat meat. Mm-hmm. And so if Hillsong hurts you, I'm not going to do that around you. And so that's the tricky issue in terms of corporate worship. Yep. Do you have people in your audience that it does hurt them? If so, I would hope that in love, that person would reach out to the worship leader and have that conversation because we can't know who's in our crowd without them telling us. Mm -hmm. So if you're the person who this does bring up bad ideas, this does bring up hurtful thoughts and memories and your church is singing a song that brings up those memories, I'd suggest you reach out lovingly and Mm -hmm. peacefully to your worship leader and start that conversation with them. Don't start with accusations. Don't start with like telling them they're terrible people. Don't make it a moral issue. Correct. Just, Hey, when we sing these songs, I just want you to, know this is what I'm feeling because what may happen, they may say, okay, I receive that. We won't play that anymore. Mm-hmm. But what also might happen is that enters you into a conversation with your worship leader. So you can understand their rationale for what they're thinking. Like, I had an issue with King of My Heart for the longest time because of the lines, I'm never going to let, never going to let you down. Uh, this isn't a moral failure or anything, but I <laughs> I first heard that song two days after telling my mom I loved her before I knew she was going to die. And mm-hmm. her last words were calling me by my brother's name. So that happened on Friday. I go to church on Sunday and I hear never going to let, never going to let me down. And I was pissed. Yeah. And so I I got pissed every time we sang that song in church. And finally, I I had a conversation with some people, with some pastors who I knew and trusted, and just told them what my thoughts and my feelings were. And they gave me a different perspective. They received my thoughts. They received my pain and my hurt. They didn't invalidate it. They didn't tell me I was wrong, but they gave me a way to reframe what I was hearing and what I was singing. Mm-hmm. So that now that lyric means something different to me than right. it did before. So that's why I would encourage you to have that conversation because maybe they'll stop singing it, but maybe they'll help you reframe and process your grief and your hurt in a way that becomes healthy so that Jesus can restore it to a place that brings yeah. you back to him. And maybe just maybe you have a conversation where it's okay. If nobody's told you, it's okay that in the middle of your hour long uh, worship service for you to not sing for three minutes up to five to eight minutes, if it's a Bethel song during one song, (laughs) (laughs) 
I couldn't help it during one song to sit there and just listen to the music and not participate in worship. Like that's okay too. Nobody said that for the entire hour, you have to have every single bit of the worship service connect with you and have you help connect with God. There, there are plenty of times where it's okay to sit there and go, I don't really like this song. I don't like the words. I don't really connect really well. I'm not in a good mood right now. So I'm just going to sit here and listen and see if I can uh, connect with God in another way. That's okay too. It's also okay if you have a disagreement with the church and that church is not the church for you. And then you can find one that is better for you in the season that you're in, whether it's over music preference or preaching or community or whatever, those are okay as well. You do not have to demand that your local church community bend to every single preference or uh, trigger or issue you have in particular. Yes. That's a, that could be a whole episode on how to find the right church that we could do in the future. Um, but for now, we want to respect your time. So we're going to we're going to stop right here. As always, if you have any thoughts, any comments, any questions, if you want to continue this conversation, uh, you can reach out on social. Eric is at Eric W712 on TikTok, Instagram and Twitter. I am at Jonathan underscore Corone on all the platforms as well. You can reach us by email at hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Uh, next week, we're doing a fun episode where we're going to talk about how in youth group, in church, we made full-time ministry the litmus test for how spiritual you were. We elevated church staff and missionaries above all else, and we'll talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of that. But for now, go ahead and rate us, review us, subscribe wherever you get podcasts, uh, share it with a friend if it helped you. And above all, we hope you have a great week.